Let's go. Uh, if you have a Bible with you today, would you ch- please uh, turn to Matthew chapter 23. We have been in a series looking at the final weeks, uh, final stages really of Jesus' ministry and life before the crucifixion. Um, and we started this series with kind of this insinuating incident that happened uh, of him raising Lazarus from the grave and that miracle really pushing the break. Uh, pushing the breaking point and pushing the religious leaders uh, to the point where they're like, we got to kill this guy. We need to kill Jesus. And at that point, Jesus started down the road towards Jerusalem where he knew he was going to die. And that's the reason we titled the series what we did, The Beginning of the End. So that was the first thing that we looked at in our series was that moment And a couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus' journey took him towards Jerusalem and led him through a town of Jericho, where he had this amazing interaction with a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. We saw how that interaction uh, impacted Zacchaeus' life in a dramatic way. He changed so much about himself. He gave so much of himself. But then it was also very interesting to see how the people around that situation or that conversation or that moment reacted to it. There was a lot of people not happy because Jesus was hanging with the tax collector. And then last week, Josiah talked about Jesus entering Jerusalem, and he really walked us through like three stories that, that kind of inter- interacted with each other, almost like interweaved with each other. And he talked about the story of his entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, And he walked us through maybe the symbolism and and how it related to things that with David's life and his story and all the symbolism that went with that. He went into then the story of Jesus flipping tables in the temple. And then he went into the story of the fig tree. And he walked through these stories uh, with the thought of this, is it is so important for us to understand and read scripture correctly. It is incredibly easy for us to look at scripture and think we know what was going through Jesus' head. We come away with things that we think will justify our own actions when in actuality that wasn't the heart of Jesus. He specifically specifically talked about anger and how we will use that story for our benefit to like make our actions look okay. And he walked us through how that really was not the heart of Jesus. It wasn't about anger. It was a righteous anger. And that none of us really can say we have a righteous anger. He kind of finished the, the message last week speaking a little bit about traditions. And that's where this week I want to walk us through Matthew chapter 23. And to be completely honest, I struggled with this. And there's a little bit of fear, like, in my, own, in my own way of doing things, that this won't come out right. This is an incredibly difficult chapter with some very harsh words. And in our Bibles, if you've already flipped there, you've probably already looked at the section title, because in our Bibles, they kind of give a title above a certain passages of Scripture to help us, like, reference things. And so if you've already gotten to Matthew 23 and you're looking at the titles, you look at our passage today and it says stuff like this, Jesus criticizing the religious leaders and the seven woes. How many of you are already going, great, this is going to be a lot of fun? I get it. I get it. This isn't a fun passage. This is an incredibly difficult passage. And when Josiah and I were sitting down and as we discussed this series weeks ago, 
uh, we, were, we were talking about how we wanted to walk this series out, and we were going through the schedule of when I was going to be gone, when he was going to be gone, how we wanted to do this. And I was like, great, great, thanks, Josiah. You get the really cool story of Zacchaeus, and you get Jesus flipping tables. I get the seven woes. I'm like, thanks, man. This is going to be great. So I get it. You might look at the title right now and think, this is not going to be any fun. And for real, it probably isn't. It can maybe feel brutal. But as I have studied this passage for the last couple of weeks, my prayer is simply this, is that we can set aside the thought of, that this was just for the religious leaders. That just for a moment we would throw away that title and label of this particular passage. And really just simply ask the question, God, what do you have for me today? Acknowledging that every time that we open his word, that there is something that he has for us. There is something that we need to learn and grow from. It might be painful. It might hurt. But have an understanding that as Jesus says these words and that it is for us this morning, that it comes out of a holy love. A love that wants the best for you and me. And he doesn't want us to be in the position of the Pharisees. It might feel harsh, but know that in this process of going through difficult passages, passages of Scripture, that there is growth that can happen if we allow the Holy Spirit to move in and through our lives, and then we have the opportunity to be more like him. So if you are willing and you are able this morning, would you please stand with me as I read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 23. We'll be starting in verse 1. And it said this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, the, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with an unbearable, unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't, any, don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher. And all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. God, we need you. God, I need you. God, I pray that what you have challenged me with in the last couple of weeks in studying this passage, God, that, that this would not be my words, but that you would begin to move in each and every one of our lives. God, I pray that we are open and willing to hear the harsh words, but to, to at the same time feel your love, knowing that you want the best for us, that you are calling us out to be set apart, to be used by you, that you want us to be better, and that we can be better, not by what we do, but what you do in and through us. God, be with us in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right.
I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Here we go. I have a couple quick questions for you, though. We'll just kind of take a little bit of a break there. But I have a couple questions from you. How many of you like camping? Does anybody like camping? Uh, okay, now I'm going to ask it a different way. How many of you like real camping, not the four-bedroom RV with all the luxuries of home? Like, you tent in it. Come on. All right. All right. There's some of you that like to... I grew up camping with my family. I like being outdoors. I like uh, being in nature. When I think about camping, I know this seems ridiculous, and maybe it's because I'm an adult and I value sleep now. Those are the best nights of sleep I ever got <laughs> under the stars uh, in the fresh air. But I love camping. And so when I, when I graduated from high school and I got out on my own and I was like, you know what? I want to continue doing this in my life. I enjoy camping so much. And so uh, I went and I was like, well, I got to figure out what I need to go camping. So think about when you, like if you were to start camping, what do you need? And it's kind of crazy all the stuff that you may need to go camping. And so maybe you go to a sporting goods place, right? Maybe you go to Shields or something. I don't know. You can name whatever sports place it is. And you walk in the door with the stuff. Okay, I want to go camping. What do I need? And, of course, a very nice salesperson walks up to you and goes, how can I help you? And you go, I want to go camping. I, want, I, want to, I need all this stuff to go camping. And they get incredibly excited because all they hear is, cha-ching, my check is going to be amazing this week, right? And they're like, I have got all the stuff for you, right? And so you walk in and he's like, all right, well, we'll start with this tent, right? You're going to need a tent and tent stakes and some stuff to waterproof your tent. And I'm sitting there like, don't the tent stakes come with the tent? Oh, no, 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 you got to buy that separately. And they don't waterproof the tent for you. You got to buy that separately. And I'm like, okay. So we get the tent, you get the tent stakes, the waterproofing crap, right, you know? And then, oh, well, I'm going to need sleeping bags because I need to sleep in something, right? I'm gonna, otherwise I get cold. So I'm going to need sleeping bags. And they're like, well, do you really want to sleep on the ground? Maybe you need an air mattress too. So then, so then they get an air mattress for you and they put that in the cart. And then, well, you're going to be in the middle of nowhere, so then you're going to need a pump and then D batteries, which nobody carries D batteries anymore. But you're going to need these batteries to pump up the air mattress. And then you're like, okay, I got the tent, I got a place to sleep, I should probably eat on this trip, that would be a good idea. And so you're like, okay, are there pre-made meals I can buy, maybe you do it that direction. Uh, or you're like, oh no, I cook everything myself. So then you got to buy a stove, right? I mean, you got to buy a stove, you got to buy pots and pans to cook with, all the ut cooking utensils and the silverware. And then you might need something to clean all that stuff with, and you have this whole cart full of stuff. Oh, and really, if you're like me, you better have a first aid kit because for sure I'm going to hurt myself, right? So you get the first aid kit, you got all the stuff, the cart is incredibly full, right? And you're going to carry all this, you're like, uh, I'm not driving there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hike it in because you're stupid, right? And, and you're like, so then the salesman's like, well, you're going to need a bag or something to put all this stuff in. So they go and get you this like backpack thing, right? And you get it and you, uh, they fill, begin to, Put the stuff in this bag for you as you purchase it. And now that your bank account has a negative number in it, because it's incredibly expensive, you go to pick up this bag. And it literally pulls you either straight forward, straight backwards. It just like pulls you down. It is so incredibly heavy. And it's super embarrassing because you got to pick yourself up. You're like, I can't, I look like a wuss, right? If you're like me, you're worried about that. And as, and you finally get, get yourself together and you pick up this bag and you're like hobbling it to the door, right? Like, I'm supposed to hike through the mountains with this? This is insane. And as you're walking out the door, you look at the salesman and say, hey, thank you so much for your help. Oh, by the way, tell me about your camping experiences. Where should I go? And the salesman looks at you and goes, oh, I don't go camping. I just go rent an RV from the 
store down the road. Wow, thanks. That person knew everything that we needed to go camping and how to do it. And for their benefit, they added on the extras. But they don't actually do the activity themselves. Hang on to that thought. In our passage today, Jesus once again is holding nothing back. And to remind us of what Josiah said last week, we need to remember that all of what he is saying is from a righteous anger and a holy love. This isn't just about him being angry and spewing harsh words. There is love in everything that he says. The first 12 verses that we read gives us this warning about false religion to the people that are around. Because at that point in those first 12 verses, it's kind of like he's talking to a crowd. And so he's warning them about false religion to these people. And then there are the seven things that he calls out specifically to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, known as the seven woes. A woe is not a word we use. It's not like woe. It's like woe. This is not a good word. It is a cry of anguish. In the Greek, this word is actually all vowels. I didn't even type it in my notes to try and say it. It's just not even, not even going to go there. But it's all vowels. It's an incredibly difficult word. And, and an English equivalent would be like, ah! She's like, Ah! Or if you want an actual like, sentence to go with it, it is almost like a despairing and frustrating yell of, what are you doing? That's what woe is. So however you can like, picture that in your mind, maybe it's simply, ah! Or it's the, what are you doing? Keep that in mind. The point that Jesus was trying to make to the religious leaders was simply this. He was not... He was not saying, what are you doing, because they were bad people. He was not saying that they were not following the law. They were. But what he was saying is that they were completely missing the heart behind the law. And in the verses, like I said, that we read, Jesus is speaking to all those around them. And I wanted to, like, there's so much in this passage, I'm like, I don't even know how to break this down for everybody, because this could be like a six-week series. But there are four things in the 12 verses that we read that Jesus really warned the people of. He warned the people of, number one, people and leaders are not actually living in what they preached, believed, and declared. He called them out on putting burdens on others that they were not willing to do themselves. The other thing is is the need to be noticed and going after status more than going after God. They sought status, not a savior. And again, this is how Jesus set up to get really personal with the religious leaders. And starting in verse 13, he starts dealing out these seven what are you doing statements. And we are not, you can thank me later, we are not going to read every woe. Because I know that you do not want to sit here for the next eight hours. But I want to encourage you this week to spend some time reflecting on what he had to say to the religious leaders. Because if you have been like me in the past, you look at this passage and go, that's for somebody else, not me. But I'm telling you, it's for you and it's for me. Don't read it as if it's only for church leaders, but for you. Understanding this, that we are all preachers and teachers. We are all declaring something with our lives. And when it comes to how we follow Jesus, Are we simply checking the boxes, following the law, or do we understand the heart of God? 
Like I said, I won't go through all of the seven woes, but I do want to read through two of the woes that focus more on the heart. And so I'm going to read verses 25 through 28, and we'll kind of flush those out a little bit. Verse 25 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. What are you doing? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. What are you doing? You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This is brutal. Now, I know that maybe there are some words in there. I've described woe a little bit. That'll maybe help you. But there's some things, like as you, I dug into these, these verses, there's some symbolism there with tombs and all of that stuff that I, I just don't have time to get into this morning. And so to maybe help us understand what Jesus is telling the Pharisees, I came up with some thoughts of maybe how to describe this and what Jesus is saying to them that maybe we can relate to. He was saying, you have a great looking car with a blown engine. That is a great looking car. That is sweet. Can I take it for a ride? Nope. The engine's shot. Maybe you're more creative and artistic and you've made this incredible, they've made this incredible, beautiful cake. But inside it didn't get baked well enough and it's full of salmonella. Maybe you see some, he's saying, you look great physically. Have you been working out? You look amazing. Yeah, I've been working out, it looks great. The problem is, is inside the cancer is spreading. You have an incredibly beautiful home. It looks great. How, who decorated it for you? Ooh, but it has a cracked foundation. It's full of termites. That's what Jesus is saying to them. It's incredibly hard. It feels incredibly brutal. And throughout all of the woes, Jesus calls them out for who they really were. He calls them play actors and hypocrites. More concerned with outward appearances, but full of junk, dirt, and death on the inside. They're filled with greed, controlled by their desires rather than a true sense of right and wrong. Worried more about what other people thought and not what God thought. Putting burdens and rules and works on others that they themselves would never ever do. They looked great on the outside, but their hearts were in heart failure. The cancer was spreading. And the problem is that Jesus is screaming at them, what are you doing? And the problem is, is because they had this going on in their own lives, but even worse, they were dragging others with them. They were pulling people down this same path, the path towards heart failure. They were giving people a dishonest presentation and dead traditions. They were putting their best foot forward to gain a following for themselves to see how big of a crowd they could get rather than pouring people to the living God that could transform and change their lives. All of their practices, they were missing the truth. These practices were good. Remember, Jesus said that you're following the law. You're not bad people. You're just missing the point. 
They were driven by human motivation rather than being led by the Holy Spirit and by God. In fact, Jesus was calling them dead, not physically, but spiritually. As it is so important, it is just interesting, in the chapter earlier, just before Matthew 23, and he deals out this hard, these harsh words and these seven woes. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees actually tried to trick Jesus and go, how do you follow the law? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response was that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love others as yourself. What Jesus over and over is trying to show them is that religion doesn't, does not necessarily lead to love, but that true religion should flow out of a right love for God and for others. Jesus was pointing out that false religion says, you must live like this and then God will accept you. You must do all of these things first before you can come. Leaving people, attempting to do it by themselves, through their own deeds, through their own abilities and works, just hoping, they aren't even guaranteed by these Pharisees, just hoping to impress God enough that he will accept them. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that, she, that, that God has already accepted them. He's accepted you and I. And our response and our, the change in our lifestyles and the change in how we live our lives is a response to that, not to gain his acceptance. Doing good, not trying to impress God, but doing it totally out of a love for God. He says, stop worrying about the outside and start cleaning up the inside. And so for a few moments, I want us to think about our own lives. I know that I just went through that incredibly fast and I tried to like paraphrase it the best I could. But I want us to think about our own lives. Take away the title of the Pharisee. Take away the title of religious leaders. This is for you and me. And let's think about these three thoughts in our own lives. Do we understand that our lives are declaring something at all times? Our lives are screaming out what we believe. We are declaring something, even if it's not with our words, but how we choose to live. How we treat other people. How we love other people. We are all preachers, teachers, and declaring something. When it comes to you being a follower of Jesus, are you declaring it in your own truth, in your own words, or is it a truth that comes from the heart of God? Is your faith, is your following Jesus simply about following the rules or following in Jesus' footsteps? Because if it is simply about following rules, customs, and traditions, it is dead. It is dead. The gospel, the good news declared that God has accepted you in Jesus, so live like this. That's incredibly different than do this and then. It's just come to him and in response this is what happens. It is not the other way around. The other thing that I want to think about for each and every one of us this morning is are we seeking a status and a name for ourselves or are we seeking a savior? Are we going after high visibility positions so that other people can see that what we are doing or are we doing the work of a servant? Are we more interested in being noticed by God or by man? 
Are we desperately seeking to be a leader rather than being content and full of hope, just following? Sometimes I think we think of the word as a following as a bad thing. You know what? I will follow Jesus any day. I don't need to be a leader. I don't need to be up here. Just let me follow him. So who are you following or are you seeking a status? Because understand that if we are truly following Jesus, we are studying him. And you are moving because Jesus is always moving. We are never at a place, if we are in a place of contentment and we're happy and good with things, we need to take a little closer look at Jesus. Because he's always moving. He's always wanting us to go with him, to follow him. And if we are not really following him, if you're looking at your life and you're like, I, I don't know that I'm really following him, what tends to happen if we don't study him daily, if we are not walking with him daily, what happens is he becomes a distant idea. And God becomes this distant idea to us, where we, and, then, and then we have this tendency to start following man rather than God. And we then begin to worry about the opinions of man rather than just simply following him. Are you seeking a status? Are you seeking out our Savior? The third one is this, is are we putting burdens on others that we ourselves are not willing to do? The religious leaders had all the people doing all sorts of things trying to earn God's acceptance. Yet they themselves chose not to do those things or felt that they were above doing those things because of their status. Leaving the people around them full of restlessness and anxiety, constantly having to do things in order to be acceptable to God. I hurt for so many people in our world today because I see a world full of anxiety and restlessness just trying to get it right. I hurt for the countless stories of people never wanting to be a part of a church again because of the burden that was put on them because they had to do all of these things first before they could walk through a door of a church. They had to do this, they had to do that before they'd be accepted. This is incredibly personal for me. I've had family members rejected by church because of the length of their hair and the way they dressed. What are we requiring of people before we allow them to, the opportunity to know the living God? Remember the salesman in the camping bag? Yeah. I think many times we have people in our lives that come and they want to know God, and they want to know who he is and what he is all about. They have questions, and oh boy, do we seem to have answers and things they need to do. We begin to fill their cart up with all the stuff, our knowledge, the rules, the traditions, this, that, the other thing, and then we pack it all in a bag for them, and we put it on their back. And then we watch them fall and stumble. If we think we're going to be extra good, we'll maybe help them up. And then we'll show them to the door. And then they stop and maybe ask you a couple questions, maybe something like this. Is this what you do? How do you respond? Are you the salesman who knows what he thinks you need but has no experience? 
Are you filling people up with a false religion of all the things that you think they have to do in order to be accepted by God? Wow, it's pretty prideful. But in reality, all of this stuff will lead them to a dead faith. And they will be filled with anxiety and restlessness and more than likely they're going to give up. Or are we the experienced camper? The one who sits down and shares what God has done in your life. Sharing the love, the mercy, and the faithfulness that you have been shown. Remembering your start and where you were. Letting them know that Jesus is willing to accept them, to heal them if they will seek him out. That's it. Jesus himself said, seek and you will find. Seek God. Reminding them and letting them know that Jesus isn't looking for perfection or the right words or the right tools. He is simply looking for a humble, sincere person willing to come to him and say, Lord, if you're willing, will you heal me? Understanding them and walking them through the process and letting them know that Jesus is looking for surrender and that the life change that happens will be a result of their experience with God, not because they followed the rules. Understanding and knowing it's not simply about changing behaviors. It's about having a heart transplant. There is work that goes into a heart transplant. I have a friend of mine who had a heart transplant several years ago, and the work she had to put in because she got a new heart. She couldn't just simply live her life the way she used to. Life changed. Because she had to take care of her new heart. She had to build her heart up, and she had to strengthen it. And she had to go in for therapies and all of these things, and she had to have regular checkups on her heart. We need to have regular checkups on our hearts. Putting in continuous work, focusing on our Savior and Him alone, not the rules. Going through the rehab. And if we don't have these regular checkups, we can lose focus and miss the heartbeat of God. And our rhythm and His rhythm are on two different wavelengths. Understanding and sharing that the work is not our work, not what we can do, because there is absolutely nothing we can do that will be good enough. It is the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He simply wants surrender so that we can be retrained and reprogrammed to have his heart. Are we the salesman? Are we the experienced camper? All of what Jesus said today came from a holy love. He is calling out the religious leaders of the day, asking them to take the blinders off and quit leading people to a false religion. He's asking us to do the same thing. What's amazing to me is if you, you continue on throughout the chapter, he, sti- he loved them. This was a holy love that he had for them, and he actually gave them hope. And a lot of us miss this, but verse 34, it says this, Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. He hasn't given up hope on them. He isn't giving up hope on us. He still gives them a chance. He still gives us a chance. But we need to respond. Worship team, would you please come? And why don't, why don't we all just stand as we go to close, close today? 
I just want to challenge you. Where are you in all of this? Maybe you're standing here today and you've been a part of a church or a religion where the burdens have all been put on you. And after wearing that backpack for a while, you're like, this is too hard. And you're like, I'm just going to give up. I want to encourage you to simply look at Jesus. To simply go to Jesus. He is just asking you to surrender, to come to him and be willing to let him transform you from the inside out. Because it doesn't matter what we try and do, it will never be enough. That's why he sent Jesus. He knew we couldn't do it on our own. Understand it's not about what you can do. It's about what he has already done. When he cried, it is finished, he meant it. He wants to heal you, but you have to allow him to heal you. It's a process. This isn't a flip of a switch. This isn't going to happen overnight. This is a process. It's a transformation. It's a heart transplant. Just go to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you have been a church person your whole life. I would include myself in this group. What is your life declaring? What is your faith? What is your relationship with Jesus declaring to others? Do you look good on the outside, but really inside, you're dead? You're still just trying to follow the rules? When people ask you about your relationship with God or your faith, or maybe they say a religion, do you hand them a bag full of requirements, or do you simply share your story and your experience with them? I heard it in a message when I, about this, this chapter of the Bible. He said, we, sometimes we get too focused on the minor things, so we're majoring on the minors. We're too worried about the minor things. Worried about the small things rather than the heart of God. Understanding that we are called to be just like him, to follow in his footsteps, to be full of love, justice, and faithfulness. Or are we simply full of dead works that seems like it's a lot of work my prayer for you this my prayer is that this message I know doesn't it it doesn't leave you feel beating up and you're like Aaron too late (laughs) I feel like junk now thanks a lot yeah I know you are because I've been sitting with this passage for the past two weeks focusing on it And this is not something where I am standing up here saying that I get this right, because I don't. I don't. I fail at this more often than I pass the test. There are things in my own life I need to be better at, especially when it comes to how I'm sharing Jesus with people. In fact, to be completely honest, part of my struggle in putting this message together is the thought that has been going over and over in my head. And this has been my question to God. Sorry. Who am I to be standing up here and preaching this? I'm not worthy. I don't got this right, God. How how am I supposed to stand up here and talk about something that I fail at more than I pass. I have things in my life that I I have declared that I know don't line up with your heart. And as I was struggling with that, 
and praying through it and asking God, like, how and how do you want me to share this passage, God? Because number one, I'm not worthy. I feel very unqualified. And the thing that came to my head and my heart as I was praying about it was just simply this. And he says, I know, this is simply your heart checkup. And he said, here are the results. What are you going to do? This passage we can easily skip over because we think it's for somebody else. But it's for us. Is what you are doing and what you are declaring line up with the heart of God? Because if it's not, he's willing to heal you if we simply go to him and allow him to transplant the parts of our heart that need some work. And I hope that each one of us will walk out of here today not feeling beat up, but walk out with the understanding that this has simply been your heart checkup. And I know it's cheesy, but it's a good visual. My prayer is that when we walk out, we actually acknowledge the test results and allow him to do what only he can do. God, give us your heart. We're going to sing one more song together. I'm going I'm to invite the, the prayer teams to come up. We're going to have prayer members up front, and a prayer team member in back. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody about the results you just found out. Maybe you want prayer for the strength and the ability to, to just, maybe you just need to go to God and you just want somebody to stand with you in that. Maybe you walked in here with something today that you want prayer for. That's what, that's what we're up here for that. Prayer team members are here for you. We want to pray with you, encourage you, lift those prayers up. We also have an opportunity to respond with communion in the back. If you would like to respond in a way to remember what he already did, it's finished. Just simply come to me. Maybe you want to take communion to remind yourself of that. Maybe your response is to simply stay where you are and worship him. Remembering what he's done for you, seeing the results and going, I can do better. God, fix me so I can do better. But let's respond today. Let's not ignore the test results. Let's let our hearts be transplanted. God, this is hard. God, you know my struggle has been for a couple weeks now. And this is something that I cannot just say, I've, I've figured it out, I got the test results, but God, I pray that as we, we, each one of us get our test results of where our heart is at and is it in line with you, that God, we would continuously go in for checkups. That we wouldn't go, it's one and done and I got it, but God, that on a regular basis, we'd go to you for a heart checkup. And that we would respond in a way that would be life-changing and life-giving to those around us. God, thank you for doing all the work and for just the simplicity of us having to surrender. God, help us to do that. In your name.